Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Look, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Hollywood is just running on fumes. There's no way that it can keep up with the amount of content that's needed, the innovations that are taking place, and the infrastructure that's just falling apart. So there has to be new opportunities for people to innovate and create. And so Keith and I explored this week what that really means if you're gonna break into a Hollywood that's breaking down. And we also pull up some articles written in New York Times and The Atlantic they're also talking about this same need and desire to find new ways to approach Hollywood and the studios. So we wanted to share that with you this week. So welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Hey, so I was reading the New York Times and I came across this article. I, well, I get a subscription to the New York Times every day. I get this little news feed and yeah. it popped up right there in the news feed. Movie theaters must urgently rethink the experience as study says. So mm-hmm. obviously... When I read that he- headline, I thought uh, Keith and I are either Keith is brilliant. S- smartest people or now we're swimming mainstream. I can't figure out which one we're doing here. Yeah, <clears> but obviously, true. like, it's just it's becoming a part of a national conversation, right? Because there was a, a usual or common thing that people did, which is go to the movies, to the theater mm-hmm. to watch the movies, enjoy it. Yep. And we are missing that. Like, we're missing that mm-hmm. kind of connection to the experience part of it. We're consuming the media, but but not there. Um, we talk about it all the time uh, on this show, um, but it's interesting to see the New York Times like catch up or whatever, or finally start making this an important part of the overall conversation. Yeah. I mean, uh, when I saw the article, it was like, hallelujah, someone's finally listening. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the same time, you know, it's, it's interesting because on my LinkedIn feed, obviously I'm connected with a lot of people who still work in Hollywood, still work at the studios. And there are several people who caught on to it, but it was really what this is the part that always gets me. It's always like exhibition. This is exhibitions problem. Like it's never mm. like we need to work together to figure out how we make this work. It's always, oh, exhibition needs to do this. Exhibition needs to do this. AMC should do this. Regal needs to do this. Blah, blah, blah. Like no one is saying we need to figure out how to make this work together because the sort of Theatrical. Yeah, so you're saying in, inside of a inside of a studio structure, that silo of decision making and issues, right? You're saying that possibly like the real decision makers, the creators, the people at green lighting, the marketers are can be or have been ignoring this because they've been saying, "Hey, this is ex- exhibitions issue to solve." Yes, we're getting viewers, right? At the studio, might be saying, "Hey, we have more views than ever before." Hey, we're making more money than ever before, but there's a small channel of people. Besides like the, everyone that's winning on the OTT platforms, a small channel of people that are saying, hey, there was this thing that used to happen that right. isn't happening anymore. Um, do you think that voice is just too quiet? Yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing. First of all, I would challenge a little bit of what you just said. First of all, okay. they're not making money off this. The only company that's making money off streaming right now is Netflix. All the other companies are heavily in debt trying to build out their programs, even Disney+. Plus. They're not forecasting making any money on this until like 2025. Because they're investing so much in creating the content, they're not necessarily making the money. So box office is still a money maker for them. And this is where I don't understand this whole idea of, and then to your to your question to me, yes, I do think there seems to be a cognitive dissonance between what's happening on the studio side and you know, blaming exhibition for all the problems. I mean, this has been it's it's it goes always back to the sort of the siloed mentality, even inside the studios themselves. Like when I was working in development at New Line, we'd all used to blame marketing for not being able to m- open the movies. 
And then when I moved over to marketing at Fox, we started blaming development for bad movies. And it's just, it's just this back and forth. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. It, you know, it's their fault. And it's just endemic throughout the industry as a whole. But because, yes, it's great the New York Times is finally calling attention to the fact and, you know, the fact that they use the word urgently. Like, this right. is a problem, guys. You need to wake up to this. <clears throat> and, you know, there were comments that said this has been an ongoing conversation for years. We've been trying to push exhibition to do this and they're all acting like the paramount decree is still like hanging there tell them you can't get involved in theaters but that's gone so i don't understand why the conversation is still exhibition needs to do this that and the other and not hey let's try to figure out how we can all make this work even if like disney or comcast who are two companies though i i'll say this so i'm blue in the face who still have like more customer interaction than most of the other studios because they own parks and they are, they are more involved in the customer experience than most typical studios. There still doesn't seem to be a need to like, Hey, let's try to experiment. Let's try to find something that'll make this experience better. What's interesting though is, and we've, we've also talked about this to the point where we have almost made fun of it too much. (laughs) Is that how the studio executives are still a little bit old school? So there's some, there's almost a disconnect here because it I'll maybe say I'm thinking in stereotypical kind of fashion here is that if you're old school studio executive, you have to be thinking exhibition is a is a great place still, right? If it is a revenue generator, might not always be a profit generator, but a revenue generator at least to kick off kick off a, sh- a movie. Um, as well as there's a marketing play when things work well in the theaters that traditionally, when you go to video, which OTT, what that, that's what it really is, just a faster mm-hmm. way of getting it. Good, so go to go to video release is a bigger video release. Um, the day and date model, it almost changes things, almost like a younger, newer generation of people are running the studio, but it's that's not true. So there, there must be some kind of decision making that either says I'm worried about my job or I'm worried about my shareholders. I have to panic and and run, worry about a bunch of other people just so I can keep my job or keep my position or keep the authority that I have and ignore yeah. it. But mm-hmm. now the New York Times is basically saying, you know, 49% of moviegoers are no longer buying movie tickets and possibly up to 10% of that audience will never buy a movie okay. ticket. And that's a 10% drop today, this generation. It, it perpetuates itself, right? Because those mm-hmm. people have make other people and then it starts kind of pyramiding out. So <laughs> you're looking 10 years out, 20 years out, this right. this um, little thing that we used to call movie going kind of goes the way of the drive-in where it's niche and it's fun, but it's not something we do all the time. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think there isn't a sense of sort of, and Richard Rushfield has talked a lot about this too, and I give him a lot of credit. I talked a lot about him and Matt Bellani this week in my newsletter because they are really the two who are really shouting like, guys, wake up. You know, this is not this this is not good. And, you know, Richard Rushfield, a companion piece to his previous anchor, where he actually had people from the middle of the country sending him pictures of theaters that are falling apart. Like we all see pictures of AMC, like Nicole Kidman walking around him in this gorgeous AMC. Of course, that's in Glendale, California. But then you go to the middle of the country and the ceilings are falling in. And there's cracks everywhere. And, you know, the the playground looks like an empty, you know, creepy scene from, I don't know, a 
Stephen King novel. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's just, there's a disconnect there. And again, it, it does come from sort of this old school mentality at the top where they're like, this is how we've always done it. And, you know, Richard Rushfield also brought up some points about like, they're just like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about this. I'm on, on the verge of retiring. I'm just going to keep trying to make as much money as I can while, I, while I'm sitting in this seat. You know, another aspect of it, I think you're right, is that because there are younger people, younger folks in the, at the studios right now, but they are scared out of their wits of losing their jobs and they are just going to do whatever they can do to survive. It's survival. So it's, who's running the show? Like what? Nobody. That's the problem. What's happening? It, but that's the. That, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm like, is it really no one? I mean, is it truly no one's running the show, or is it just like a mob mentality kind of thing of like? I think. I think what it is, or is, maybe that is the same thing. Well, I think it is the same thing. I think there's no one really leading. There's no one really saying, "Guys, we got to figure this out." Like Bob Iger had this presence that he was always sort of the guy that sort of was the one who led the charge or a Peter Chernin, for example, back when he was running Fox during the writer strike, he was like the guy who was like managing the show. He was like talking to all the studio execs. He was like making sure everything was moving along. He was working with the WGA to make sure we were making progress in negotiations. There was someone who's speaking with a voice and sort of had a leadership to say, we got to move this forward. That's not happening anymore. You got everyone just scrambling saying, it's all about streaming. It's all about streaming. Okay. Uh, you know, Jim Jimenopoulos is Paramount's too focused on old school theatrical. We need to focus 100% on streaming because Sherry Redstone only cares about the stock price. So I'll promote this Brian Robbins guy and then we'll throw everything on Paramount+. <laughs> Plus. Fingers crossed. Like that's just not, that's, that's not leading. No one is saying we need to rethink this, guys. We need to step back and realize we have a, an opportunity to make some drastic changes if we want this industry to really move forward. I mean, the last pandemic basically started the film industry. This We don't want this pandemic to end it. But at the same time, there has to be a leadership. There has to be someone there seeing, you know, talking about what the next steps are and how we improve the, the, the process and not just saying it's exhibition's problem. They have to fix it because we got our streaming service over here and we can just dump everything on streaming. That's not going to solve the problem. It, it's just not. Because ultimately the streaming service in five years, they're just going to become cable channels. They're going to become the HBOs and the TNTs and the Turners and the ESPNs that we're dealing with now. So it's until you start evolving, it's just going to be the same. Because what's going to happen, the consumption rate of media is increasing to a degree that the only way to keep up can't be the way we make we made traditional content at all. Right. It's just mm -hmm. we can't we can't make it as fast as we can consume it. And that beast that's eating the material faster than you can consume it takes a lot of dollars to keep up with it. As you pointed out earlier, that the dollars don't always exist for every OTT platform, if not any, but Netflix, possibly. Mm -hmm. But besides the money that runs out, the ideas will run out, right? I mean, there's a, gonna be a deficit of ideas. We're gonna be on, you know, Stranger Things 27, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like it just doesn't, it will also not evolve and not grow right. and not change because there's this, there's this, thing that we can't keep up with. So that means all media will just basically go to live feeds. It's the only thing that can, I mean, thank goodness. I mean, I say congratulations because <laughs> luckily people that have podcasts every that do it once a week will have a, right. have a play, right? Because everyone else is running yeah. out of all the other content. Um, but the, the, the reality of a studio making any decisions in the future that can keep up with a Twitch feed, like it mm -hmm. just, 
there's going to be a very different kind of movement if there isn't a bigger strategy. And I don't, I don't know. Like it, I, the um, you forwarded me the uh, the Atlantic article, um, and that to me, um, what was the title of that one? But that one had like um, America's, America's running, running on, on fumes. fumes. Yeah, by yeah. Derek Thompson, our our, yeah. our buddy Derek Thompson, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to hit up my brother. Brother from another mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mother Thompson. Um, yeah. So, um, but that that article kind of reminded me of um, the book, The Decadent Society. And just this mm-hmm. thought of like, we're, we haven't evolved at all since the, the 1990s. Did, you read The Decadent Society, right? You're familiar with that, the Ross. Yeah, the, uh, the Ro- Ross so. Gallup that. Yeah. 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 So, uh and what's interesting to me in the chapter that kind of stands out for, for our show here is the one where he talks about the scene from Back to the Future from the 1980s. And the joke was you could take a 1980s reference, put it into the 1950s, and a 1950s person wouldn't recognize that. It would freak them out yeah. because mm-hmm. uh, I think it was Darth... I think it was Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan or something like that. Right? Yeah, That's yeah. the reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and of course a 1950s person would have no idea of who Darth Vader is, right. no idea of what that reference is, no idea of that character spot. But if you take someone from the 1990s, right? If I went from the 1920s back to the 1990s and I showed them our films, they would recognize all the characters because we've been repeating <laughs> those ideas since the 1990s. I mean, friends yeah. is, becomes the top TV show in the in the 2020s, and imagine going back 30 years, you'd be like, they'd be like, oh yeah, friends, that's on TV here yeah, too. There yeah, would be yeah. no joke. There's no yeah. funny <laughs> reference at all, no no fallback reference. Yeah, and I think that's an evidence of how fast we're, we were consuming then, because we had cable mm-hmm. television and direct, direct to video and uh, DVRs, and then to keep up with that with OTT platforms, where we really, really, really are running on fumes. I agree with with Derek Thompson. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because another funny thing about Back to the Future, if you think about it in Back to the Future 2, when they go forward uh, to the future and uh, they're flying cars, it was like 2005, I think, or something like that. And they had flying cars. Like in... Uh, 2018. <laughs> it was a 2018? Yes, you're right. Yeah. It was 2018. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And they envisioned that we'd all be up in the air flying through like... Because right, the that are, progress from the 1950s to the 1980s was yeah. so drastic that they thought it would continue. From the 1980s, it has to continue. <laughs> it has to. And continue. the only thing that's happened is we've right. went from videotape to st- faster <laughs> <laughs> to streaming. <laughs> and and if this is a better evolution, we went from screens that were this big to screens that are this big to watch right. things faster. Even so, even like the what would be evident of something. So um, imagine like in the night, the one thing that would be fast forward five years to walk into the 1990s and say movie theaters will never exist yeah. in 2025. Mm-hmm. That, that's, the, that's the boom of like, wait, that's what we're talking about? Because right. deep in the 1990s, the blockbuster was finally coming around. The romantic comedy had a place that made sense and everyone could consume and we were consuming it in the theater. We weren't consuming it anywhere else. That's, that was the first run, as you know, first run of all content was happening in the theater to yep. say now like, Oh no, there was no, there's no theaters in 2025. I mean, yeah, yeah. sure. It's like drive-ins, but there's no theaters. I think that's the the moment if you think like, Whoa, is that an, that's a better evolution. 
Yeah. I think that's what that's what we catch on to Marv, like Hollywood is yeah. breaking because right. not really sure this evolution is working the way we want it to. Well, it's interesting because what I really liked about Derek Thompson's article was he he delineated between innovation and invention. And I really think that's an important distinction because we can obviously say we've innovated the experience of watching content by the fact that I can watch it on a screen like this and I can carry it around like me or go watch it wherever I want versus having to like appointment viewing, uh, you know, record it, you know, actually have to like be at my house at Thursday at nine. If I want to watch the latest episode of Friends, I can't watch it three days later. Um, you know, so innovation, yes, great, but it's not always great. But there's no, there's no, there hasn't been a lot of invention and sort of like new ideas. And you, you talk a lot about different stories. I think the biggest problem is that, you know, when I first started in the industry, I was handed a book, which is handed out to everyone who starts in business called, I think it's called the screenplay. I have it downstairs. I can't remember the name of it. But it literally introduces the three, it, it sort of inculcates you into this idea of the three act structure. Like you have plot, you have the first act, plot point one, second act, plot point two, it spins into the third and final act. If you watch a movie, that's how everything is written now. And it's just little things, like that's kind of the idea that needs to be junked. And we need to start coming up with different ideas on how to tell a story. Not even all the way down to like the screenplay and how the screenplay is written. And little things like that are just, they're just staying away from it. And it, it it's, it's interesting to me that everyone is starting to catch on to this idea that we need to start re sort of looking at what we've gotten used to and find new ways to do what we've always done, but try to reinvent it so it becomes something that people actually want to be a part of. And the other thing that Derek Thompson <clears throat> pointed out, which I thought was great, was sort of the disparity in terms of who's really running stuff these days. Like he's got the whole thing where 50 year, I mean, you look at you know, a political leadership in the country, they're all over 70. I mean, it's insane. Like, I mean, it, it and it's <laughs> right. just if you like, don't think if you, we're repeating ideas. The, uh, the, the leadership repeats himself on a day. Yeah. And then you, and you leak down, <laughs> you leak down to like the banks and everybody who runs the banks is pushing 70. You leak down to like the studios and everybody running the studios is pushing 70. It's like, there's nobody who, who's really being pushed to come up with ideas. And I think it's also because the upcoming generation is sort of like, a little bit petrified to do that anything like to try to you know anything new that's going to risk that sort of ivy league degree or the, the regular paycheck because they've sort of been brought up they had to survive the financial crisis of 2008 we're now in the midst of a pandemic and there's no sense of like if we do this it'll be worthwhile in the long run it's like i gotta do for what's right for me now and then i'm not going to worry about what's coming down the road and not being having this sense of entrepreneurship to be like, you know what, this isn't working. I'm going to go start it my own because they're just, and it's again, it goes back to this idea of surviving. Like I have to survive. Like you have a 25 year old. Here, I'm going to share, let me share this article with, with uh, folks so they can see kind of, uh, I, I want to point out a, a pretty interesting quote in here and a graph that they have, because it, it, in a way, this is the genesis of even what our show is about that, that, when we titled the show Hollywood Breaks, what we were pointing out is that Hollywood is breaking, but also that you can break in. And this is the article running on fumes. But um, down here, Derek um, highlights uh, the economist Jay. I wish I could pronounce Jay's name properly, but it, um, <laughs> but but listen to this quote: "Like no idea, I, new ideas no longer fuel economic growth the way they once did. Econ these economists, 
let's say. In the past few decades, citations have become a key matrix for evaluating scientific research. And they even created this little graph to show it. So the graph basically gives us understanding that at one point, exploration and breakthroughs were where the economy was. It was just as important as incremental advance. Mm -hmm. Basically, now we're just very few people are even working on anything that's breakthrough. We're putting yep. all the money, all the investment, all the time and returns on all the derivatives. Yep. That's that's like if you put that into any kind of episodic idea, you're going to be making episodic episodes of Friends until, you know, for, for 25 years or something like that. Instead of saying, wait a second, the show Friends, instead of repeating it or replaying it in 2020, someone should discover what that show for today would be or what right. that movie today would be. Let's move away from the blockbuster thinking, that blockbuster mentality, which we know has is going to die. It, it's going to move on. We're going to evolve from it. But there's a new mo movement, a new opportunity if we focus on the right part of that economic curve, which is in yep. the exploration and breakthrough part of it. Not very heavily rewarded now if you're trying to hold on to your job. Right. Um, but if you're trying to break through, this is the moment. And and I and here's the you know here's the, the honest truth is like the generation that is holding on to their job, the baby boomers, the largest generation that existed on the planet before their time, right? Yeah, they're running out of steam physically, mentally, you know, personally. Like it just doesn't happen. So that last, it's such a large group that they can hang hang on to it. But it's gonna that evolution is gonna take place soon. And if you're gonna be part of it, I it's time to break in. That's why I talk about NFTs. It's almost yeah. like totally ignored how fast and how much money you can make in just a few hours when right. you put the right kind of thought and innovation out there in what could be understood as like a gaming platform, maybe. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's evolving, but this metaverse thought that people are talking about is a breakthrough of breakthroughs. We hope. Right. It'd be really we sad if it, if, it doesn't, we don't yeah, know. if it doesn't do something else. Yeah. Yeah. But it's exactly. for us I mean, to decide this is the moment so we get to decide what it's going to be. It's not going right, to be thrust right, right, right. upon us like some of these other technologies and techniques have been. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I that graph is absolutely spot on. And it, it, it I wish I was as hopeful <laughs> as you are. Um, but it, it, it's because I still deal and work with a lot of people who are still in this, the survival instinct is just so prevalent everywhere that I just don't think right now there's anyone who's ready to punch through that. And maybe it'll come in two or three years, four or five years, I don't know. But right now, the people that are sort of leading, you know, or in in positions to eventually lead once the baby boomers head off into the sunset, I don't know if they're necessarily going to do anything drastically different. They're not seem to be showing casing in that. And the other thing is, they're not really being encouraged to do that. At the studios. At the studios. There are other places they're doing it. At the studios, they're not doing that. The studios are not right. paying attention and not evolving. And, and being a studio, which right. is a place for exploration and breakthrough, they're well, really becoming saying, a yeah. product company, right? A very monopoly-based right. product company. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, that's exactly right. And I think you're, from the studio perspective, yes, and I think you're, you're right about the NFT. Is like It's cool to see that space growing and how rapidly it's growing. That's a great thing to see. And, you know, you see the people in the sort of entertainment space saying, oh, NFTs, we should be doing that with not really understanding what it is, what makes it valuable, how you grow sort of and get interest in the NFT universe in and of itself. And 
again, it goes back to this idea of like, well, I'm just going to follow what that guy's doing. And, but I don't really understand what it's, what's happening, yeah. but it looks like, you know, oh, maybe I should just be doing this. And when they're really like, you know what, why don't you figure out something new and exciting to do with it? Like why just, just chase what the other guys doing? Yeah, it's exactly. Like if you're the minute you want to be a, the minute you want to be a copycat, you're talking, you're talking yeah. to the wrong person because the creation of a commodity is actually becoming easier and easier, right? That's what some of these technological breakthroughs have created for us is that, yeah, you can make 10,000 unique items faster than ever before. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very exciting. But if everyone has the same technology, there's no unique player or unique technology right. that does it. Everyone's just using their laptop that everyone has on a train or in a car <laughs> or, or their child has. Right. I mean, one of the articles I read is about the teenagers that are making millions of dollars on NFTs and putting themselves through college through a platform their parent, parents don't even understand what's going on. Their parents are almost right. afraid their teenagers are doing something illegal, making all of this money yep. somewhere. Yeah. So there's this there's these, this breakthrough that we think is true, but if we only focus on the commodity itself, which you're right, that's where people get the NFT space uh, wrong, wrong, is yeah. that they think it's about replicating something, and it's, it's just not. Um, but the studios can embrace this thing. It's, it doesn't need to be something that's happening off their platforms. That's what a studio does. The studio evolves a story into, into the universe. Yeah. So why aren't the studios playing that game? Or why aren't they leveraging the opportunities they have? Because they still have a good cornerstone on the entertainment space. Most studios, OTT platforms, we talk about them all the time because they're part of our pop culture. That's what you have to embrace in the world and it's the future influencers, right? Our generation and, and and next generation, the future influencers could take advantage of that. That's our kind of encouragement of, of the, the conversation we're having is, hey, listen to the wisdom of the people that are around for a while so that you understand what it's like to do innovation. So when your time comes, opportunity comes, you should be following the type of innovation that's happened before and innovate in your own way. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it there is, I mean, I'm going to talk about this a little bit next week on my Founders Brew, but it's also the idea that innovation in and of itself isn't always necessarily good if you don't learn what was working in the past. Because there are things that are working. There are aspects of the industry that still apply even from back in the 50s. But you have to look at what works and then look at where the innovation might come in. But then you also have to reinvent. You have to come up with a new idea that sort of builds upon the innovation that's already come before you. And I think that's where the disconnect often is. It's, it's they look at like, okay, well, we need to really just, you know, oh, well, we're gonna innovate. So yeah, let's innovate a theater. Let's put a nice seat in there. And that's totally gonna, well, what, is that really innovating the experience? No, it's not. And what about, you know, you think about, you know, I went to see Hamilton last week here in Philadelphia and it was at the Academy of Music. And for those of you who have never been to the Academy of Music, it's this gorgeous building that was built in, like, I think the 1870s. And it's got, like, mm. all this beautiful, innate artwork. It's gorgeous. Like, you know, it's it's a it's a work of art. And you're going to see art. The, the, the theater itself is. Yeah. Yes. It's amazing. And it's like it? yes. the, we went from that to these giant white blocks that just look <laughs> ugly and they're ugly inside. Why not take, like, wait a minute. Look how well, look how, look, look at the craftsmanship that was involved. Why can't we bring that back a little bit? But then also reinvent the experience by bringing in a combination of different things that make it feel better. Like no cell phones, for example. Whoa, what a shocker. You know, there are little things you can do, but learn from what happened in the past and what worked 
and then build upon that. And I think that's, there's a lot of that disconnect happening now. Yeah, but are we following in, in that conversation, are we following into, and this is an honest question, are we following into the same trap that basically says, hey, the theater is a relevant space? Because we, we want it to be, right? It has been, and I personally mm-hmm. believe you can call it a theater or a church or a shopping mall. I don't care what it is, but I believe the connectivity of other people in the physical right. space is part yeah. of the human experience that we yes. want and share. Right. So when we when we're watching entertainment, be it in a uh, the Hollywood Bowl or the Holly or the Cinerama Dome, doesn't matter to me. When you're watching it together, the community response is part of what you remember. It's the mm-hmm. fans cheering at yep. the football game that makes part of the visceral experience that you like about right. going to a game. Right. Right. So we, I, I believe that's part of it, but the theater experience, if, a, if the theaters that we had, well, they wouldn't, they'd be torn down because they're just garbage shopping malls. Yeah. I was going to say if the theaters we had were like drive-ins, which I guess were also just basically dirt parking lots with a, yeah. with a white billboard on it. Right. Um, then if that's the way it's going to go and that theater is moved off and relegated to a few small buildings that had some cool notoriety to them, um, mm-hmm. What is the next building structure look like? And should it look like the 1850s, which I agree, like almost has to give you a reason to want to show up because the competition of not going is is so tough. Give me another reason to experience it. But what is what's the venue going to actually have in it? Is it going to have to be a different type of viewing experience or is it just a different type of entertainment experience? regardless if it's a stage or a screen, because not really sure we're going to find much more besides than goggles, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't know what the answer to that question. I think it's a combination of both. I think, I mean, I hate to say like, oh, we need to go back to the 1850s. I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to go back and sort of look at yeah. like how they built things. I, I, I think it's, it's looking at it and trying to, yes, make it sort of more of a special experience versus just walking into a dark room with a bunch of seats. Like that's mm-hmm. really what the theatrical experience is today. So look at what kind of brought people into the theater in the first place. And it was that sort of like these theaters were like palaces. They were called palaces back in the day because that's what they looked like. Now, I'm not saying we just go back and, you know, start, you know, there's an evolution to classical uh, architecture that could probably come to this a little bit. And, you know, you bring it back, you make it feel like it's an experience. But then once you walk in the door... Yeah, then we have to figure out what that what does that look like? And again, that's why I say like companies like Disney and Comcast, which have these experiences. I mean, why isn't Disney Imagineering one of the smartest places in terms of entertainment and the entertainment experience? Why aren't they building a theater? Like, why are they? Well, they I mean, I, you can argue El Capitan is the start of this or that. But I do like what you're saying because. Well, is it? I don't know. I mean. It, it, Disney just swooped in and bought it and basically kept the nuts and bolts the same. They didn't really invigorate it in any way. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, you know, when you go see a movie there, there's a bit, you know, when you see Frozen there, it does snow inside the theater. You know what I mean? Okay, like they, fair enough. They do, they actually, they do the same performance they do in Disneyland. They do it on the, and right with it on the, and the amusement right. parks and they pulled it out and put it on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. But there, I do like what you're saying there too, because there is some, some recognition of, you know, we're not just at the end of the blockbuster. We might be at the end of consumerism, which really has only been around since the, the uh, after World War II, right? That's right. the economy's based on consumerism. So we are moving into a monopoly system um, or mm-hmm. we're already in a monopoly system. So consumerism has got to change and is going to kind of evolve in a certain way. So the thought that a multiplex 
which is all about consumerism. How much crap at every single hour can we produce something at, you know, like at the multi multiples that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Requires and has an opportunity for an evolution of a different type of experience, right? So a cathedral um, that once existed, what that turned into basically shopping mall experiences can go back to and reflect some opportunity of what made the cathedral special, like an opera, Hall, yeah, like a yeah. like a, a New York City theater. Those yeah. things have a place and an aspect to it because that is the experience, right? That's what you want to do there. Yeah. So there is a great moment here, and, and again, like what a great opportunity for evolution, for a generation to take a hold of this thing and ask bigger questions. Like right. what does a what does a larger viewing audience that has to get connected want to do differently? And, and yeah. we're going to say, I'm going to hard, hard stop on, hey, it's okay to watch Dune on your television set. <laughs> like, it doesn't, no, it's not okay. It wasn't meant right. for your television set or your yeah. phone. Yep, exactly. I mean, I, you know, it, I think the one thing, uh, just to go kind of give another example of this, is you think about what, you know, as you and I both know, we traveled in New York quite a bit. Uh, the new um, Moynihan train hall, which has replaced the god-awful basement Penn Station for yeah. the time being, yeah. um, is basically a rehash of the old Penn Station that was torn down, was this beautiful work of art that was ripped apart to build that monstrosity Madison Square Garden, that ugly-ass office building that's now there. And Penn Station was relegated to the basement. You go to Moynihan train hall, they're trying to recap. Now, I don't think they're necessarily there yet. But they're trying to recapture that that feeling, that that sense of like awe yeah. when you walk in there to the fact that like I'm getting on a train. Whoop do you do? But you walk in there like, wow, I'm getting on a train. And that is that is the experience that needs to be brought back to the theaters. It's gotta be that sense of when you walk in, you're like, Yeah, I love that idea of like a force of a foreshadowing, right? Yes. Because it's not yes. just by the way, it's you're right, it is a right, it's the old post office building. So that's right. one kind of cool thing. It's a it's a recycling in a way, which seems appropriate. Yep. Um, but it also isn't just simply the recreation of Penn Station. It's almost so big. It's like the uh, what's the Hippodrome or, um, yeah. thing that gig it's a gigantic experience that you have. Right. Now a yeah. whole bunch of bodies are going to go through it, and it's a high utility as well. That's going right. to happen there. Yeah. So it's not just uh, you know a, an entertainment venue, but right. there are some unique experiences that are happening. And right. to recognize that as entertainment opportunity or viewing opportunities or for studios to lean into that and say, exactly. well, where are the people? What do we make? And how does the stuff we make go where the people are to give them mm -hmm. the experience that they, they deserve? That's pretty yep. awesome. Then just That's exactly recycling right. the next um, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, what character. you want is the feeling when the lights go down and the first trailer comes up, that excitement. You want that when you walk in the door. And that's what needs to be. That's what the next. That's what the next in, invention, if you will, needs to be. Bringing the experience outside of just walking in, in, into the screening room, which in and of itself still needs to be more impressive than it is, but also you know it has to apply to all aspects of what you're looking at. And there's ways to do it. You don't have to spend a, an enormous amount of money. Um, but I, I just you know, like I said, I just don't know if the leadership is there right now to really want to take that risk unfortunately well let's just say this to wrap this up we're both just very thankful that mainstream media is catching up to the founders <laughs> brew 
Yes. And they're finally copying <laughs> what, what they should be right. copying, which is you and Richard's newsletters talking about yes. what's actually happening. And the New York Times yeah. and Atlantic are finally reading the right sources and putting the information right. out there. Exactly. That's that's the, that's a great thing. If you Listen, if that's where they, you know, they need to go, so be it. And if you want to read The Founders Brew, where do they go, Keith? Tell them how to find The Founders Brew so they can get on the front end of this <laughs> curve, like Derek Thompson. Well, all you have to do is you can go to uh, visioncraftbrew.com. That's www.visioncraftbrew.com. And there's a link on the website. And for those of you who sign up, uh, there is also a free little gift for you. Um, there's a, a, a strategic uh, cheat sheet, as I call it, um, uh, making a mod- marketing yourself for modern media that you will get for free if you sign up for the Founders Brew newsletter. So yeah. it's a two for one deal. So, you can't beat it. And you got to you got to start reading this thing. If you're if you're watching yeah. this show, you got to read this stuff. Obviously, too. <laughs> thanks for watching this show. If you like what you see, please subscribe. Subscriptions um, help us a lot. Whatever audio platform you're listening to, as well, make sure you like us. But also, please tell people about it. You know, we're having some interesting conversations uh, on the sidebar in the comments. A lot of people are interested in the conversation we're taking place. And um, I don't know if I told you this, Keith, but there's actually a small body of people that want to have more conversations about the NFT platforms and what might be happening in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. we'll be leveraging you and your network to have that bigger conversation <laughs> as well. I'm sure they're excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for watching Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you. We'll see you next week. Um, We are going to do next week and the following week, and then we're taking a a short Christmas break. So um, we'll see you next week. And uh, who's coming next week, Keith? I think we're having a Next week, uh, we have Damon Wolf, uh, former head of marketing at Lionsgate and Sony uh, Screen Gems. Screen Gems, I believe. So that should be a very fascinating conversation. He is a definitely uh, one of the the marketers who's always looking to innovate and reinvent the marketing experience. So it should be a very fascinating conversation for sure. Yeah, looking forward to that. All right, my friend, well, have a great weekend and you too. enjoy the show while you're, while you're at it. <laughs> Thank you, you too. Okay, bye. <laughs>